You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on sight. The following podcast about film often contains foul language, discussions of an adult nature, and spoilers for the films discussed are to be expected. Now take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight! Welcome back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 192. I'm your host, Lee, the Lime Host Tiger, Russell. Joined by my co-host, Daniel, this child with tear-aged face, Harper. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Ah, right on, right on. Still doing silent movies. Um, yeah, we're going to be here for a while. <laughs> Get used to this. <laughs> Yeah, we've at least got a couple more episodes of silent movies. To... Yeah, I, I think we've got probably another month at least. I mean, if not two months of, before we really get to like full time sound. So mm. uh, you know, we'll, we will see. Bunch of bunch of stuff in the twenties we're definitely going to cover. So yeah, this time out we're going to be looking at uh, Broken <clears throat> Blossoms and uh, Within Our Gates, which are uh, well. <sighs> I'm just gonna say we're off the right off the bat, not the happiest of movies. No, no, <laughs> really, really hard to, uh, really hard to. Um, well, uh, certainly within our gates is gonna be tough to, uh, tough to, tough to joke about. Uh, Broken Blossoms, laughable, not in ways it's intended. Um, I mm. think, I think there's a lot. We're gonna have a little bit of fun with D.W. Griffith here. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're going to do some housekeeping here. First off, I'll just briefly mention, um, if you're interested, I am on the latest episode of Get Soft with Dr. Snuggles. And we, uh, of course, that's the softcore uh, film podcast uh, from my friend Alistair. We covered Ghost in a Teeny Bikini, which is a uh, (laughs) Fred Olin Ray, uh, latter-day Fred Olin Ray film uh, with uh, lots of Sex and hijinks, and it's not a bad film, actually. It's actually kind of fun, even without all the uh, nudity and uh, banging in it. So, yeah. Nice. Hmm. And I'll put, of course, I'll put the link in the show notes for anyone who's interested. We do have some comments here, so we'll we'll try to get through these. These are all from our Facebook this time, so uh, no YouTube, thankfully. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah. uh, First off, David Wilt says, one of these days you should review Night of the Lepus. Which is? Uh, do you know this film, Daniel? I don't know. This is the nineteen. Uh, 19- this was right in the midst of the nineteen seventies uh, animals attack film craze. Okay. But this is in this case, it's giant rabbits. So, okay. <laughs> so there was a lot of you know uh, superimposed rabbits, uh, you know, made to look to giant scale on the <clears throat> screen at the same time with people trying to pretend to react to them and. Probably its claim to fame is it stars DeForest Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Does he get eaten by a giant rabbit, or do I have to watch the film to find out? I'm not spoiling it for you. All I, right. Well. Yeah, no, I, I actually, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, you know, once we get up into the later decades, we're kind of thin for films, so I'm yeah. just going to put it on the list. 
Yeah. Well, that's not because they don't exist films. It's just because we started off filling out the the, the lower reaches uh, to make sure we we had some stuff to cover. So yeah, I, I have no doubt that when we get to 1973, we will have many many films on our, <laughs> on our roster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we have comments from Robert Ward, who is a newcomer to our Facebook group. I know he's on some other Facebook groups like uh, Cinema PsyOps and stuff like that. And I think he kind of got referenced to us from uh, Court PsyOps. So uh, thank nice. you, Court. He says, I'm a new listener uh, and even newer to newer group member. But let me say I'm really interested in seeing the coverage of silent films. I enjoyed the two episodes already and see some choice films on the list that I'm dying to hear. Hell, the two episodes are the reason I finally decided to join. And uh, thanks very much. He goes on to say, I have three film tattoos. And he actually posted pictures in the uh, Facebook group of these. A Trip to the Moon. And uh, he's got Chaplin from uh, City Lights and Lon Chaney Sr. from his uh, Latter-day Clown film. Uh, he didn't put the title there. I, I didn't look it up. But um, yeah. he does. he does have a little sort of mini video thing showing his uh, tattoos all on one arm. And uh, yeah, they're pretty fucking badass. He's got the, uh, he's got the moon with the fucking rocket and it's fucking eyeball. And (laughs) while I don't have one of Metropolis, I have to say you have your work cut out for you uh, as I absolutely adore the film and rank it amongst my favorites. No pressure. (laughs) We'll, uh, we'll, we'll see. I, you know, the the reality is, you know, we put a whole bunch of stuff on the list and there's no guarantee we're going to hit every single title. Metropolis would be kind of on the short list, but it also mm-hmm. just kind of depends on what else looks interesting. Cause I know we've already got several that fit into 1920. I think that's 1927. I think we've got several already kind of on that list that, that fit in there. So, you know, I, if we don't hit it this time, we'll, we'll come back to it at some point. Um, so we, but, we've yeah. got some, yeah, we've got some like the classic ones to do in the twenties right, and right. then some obscure ones. So yeah, I don't want to just kind of hit all the high points. That's kind of, yeah. that's kind of part of what, you know, the reason was to, to pick a whole bunch of films. And so, you know, I don't know, like I, I would love to do it. I don't know. Uh, we'll see when we, when we get there in a few weeks, <laughs> how we feel. Yeah. about it. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we will, we will put it on the, put it on the list to do at some point in the not too distant future. But uh, I, I don't think you'll. I don't. Uh, I'm considering we still have a bunch of silent films to do. I don't think you'll be disappointed in our picks anyway. At the, at the, right. mo- at the, at the very least, um, um, City Lights is almost certainly on the on the to do list as far as I'm concerned. I would I would I would almost certainly consider that a, a must do. Um, mm-hmm. So. And he has one <sighs> last comment here where he's sort of commenting on the actual like screenshots I put of our uh, master list here. Um, although it's. It's a little out of date now. I should re I should update it because I added a bunch of shit to it. Um, yeah. It says not bad with the inclusion of city lights and already covering a trip to the moon. You are covering two thirds of my tattoos with nearly missing the final one, uh, the clown. I have I have his Lon Chaney Senior. You ever are going with a more obvious choice to represent him with Phantom of the Opera. Not a bad selection of films, though. It's always interesting to see what others pick out of the silent era. And yeah, that's just kind of that's just kind of the thing we're doing. We're sort of feeling around, seeing what looks good to pick, yeah. And, uh, and not trying to plan too far in advance. That's kind of the the goal as well. So yeah, yeah. I have one last comment here, and this is from uh, Jeff Williams and his recommendation of the week. And I already stuck this on our uh, master list because 1955 had nothing on it. He says, Crash Out from 1955, a surprisingly brutal prison break thriller led by an all-star cast of noir character actors, including Arthur Kennedy, Too Late for Tears, William Benedict, The Glass Key, William Talman, uh, Hitchhiker, 
Gene Evans, Armored Car Robbery, Luther Adler, DOA, and Marshall Thompson, dial 1119. Journeyman B movie writer-director Lewis R. Foster punches well above his weight class with his violent gem that belies his otherwise mediocre filmography. Yeah. Yeah, sounds good. Let's do it. I mean, every time week, let's just skip to 1955. Sounds yeah. Now every, every time Jeff always puts one of these on there, it's just like, yeah, that's on the list. Like, why why is that not on the list? That's on the list. How have I not seen this already? Come on. Mm. Yeah. uh, Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. So we can move on now to uh, what we've watched in last while. I know you have one thing to mention there, Daniel. So uh, I'll throw over to you. Yeah, I watched a, a new movie. I watched Dolomitis My Name uh, on ah. Netflix, uh, which I very much enjoyed. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the same writer duo that did uh, People vs. Larry Flint yep. and Ed Wood and a bunch of those other kind of uh, Man on the Moon, a bunch of those yep. other uh, biopics from the from the 90s and 2000s. <laughs> and here's where you know I lose all my street cred on this podcast. I have actually not seen Dolomite mm-hmm. um, to date. But I'm definitely, I mean, I definitely do want to see it. It, it, looks, uh, it looks really, uh, you know, it looks really interesting, and it was funny seeing the film and not having seen the the film that's talking about the making of, mm-hmm. and not really knowing that story, and then kind of gradually realizing, oh, this is from the guys who did, you know, People versus Larry Flint and all that, because it definitely fits into like their formula of how they make films. Yeah, and I've even like read some stuff from them where they kind of talk about their process and everything, and uh, it definitely feels, uh, it you know, it feels like one of those kind of big Oscar caliber movies. That you know Eddie Murphy should get an Oscar nomination for, and you know it's a Netflix movie, so you know. Yeah, um, I I wouldn't say Murphy necessarily would should get an Oscar nomination for it. I, I'd actually say um, the the female uh, co lead. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Is, is the, like actually my and, and I've seen Dolomite. I've seen all of Rudy Ray Moore's uh, films. Right. Eddie Murphy. Sounds and looks nothing like Rudy Raymore, <laughs> and and that being said, he kind of captures Rudy Raymore perfectly at the same time, which is kind of right. weird. But the move, the takeaway I had from that movie was that all the supporting characters were amazing, yep. and 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 kind of spot on and dead on. The story itself is really good because it's it's more about Rudy Raymore paying back to his friends who stuck with him throughout the entire process. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's not your typical sort of biopic where it's like you have the, you, you don't necessarily have the big ups and downs. Like it's, it's just kind of like, Oh, uh, Rudy Ray Moore decided to go into comedy and decide to make movies and he makes a movie and he succeeds. And that's, that's kind of, that's kind of it. <laughs> that's kind of it. Yeah. It's about, it, the, it, about all the problems he runs, runs into doing it and all the kind of yeah. people around him. And, um, you know, people kind of pretty much, like, accept it and go, like, I mean, look, we'll give you the money if you need some, but, like, you're going to be in hot to us for, like, the rest of your fucking life yeah. if it doesn't make money. And so, you know, that's sort of the the, the stress kind of comes from, you know, have I bitten off more than I can chew as opposed to, you know, it, you know kind of the ups and downs of, of something like, again, people versus Larry Flint were like, and then I fell into heroin for 10 years. You yeah. Know? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, like, uh, Rudy Ray Moore, like, after his sort of film career sort of petered out there's a different story there that they don't even go towards like this is all about basically the making of like the dolomite character that that's what it's about you know if you're not familiar with that eh, it's i i liked it a lot i I thought it was a good movie and um it's definitely worth seeing but it's it's not on my it's not on my top 10 list or anything i mean i'm not saying it's like Mm -hmm. that 
you know, top tier. It's definitely entertaining and it's definitely enjoyable. And I think that uh, people who watch, who listen to this podcast will, if they haven't watched it, they will in, in, enjoy the film. I mean, it is kind of slight, you know, in terms yeah, of, yeah. you know, it's not really kind of telling. This doesn't really feel like an essential history or anything, or at least if it, if it is an essential piece of film history, as I think it, it has its place in film history, mm-hmm. you know, the film itself isn't really pushing on that element. It's more just kind of telling the the goofy story, you know, behind the, the yeah, you know, yeah. what's no, happening I, here. It, it's especially worth it just for people who don't know Rudy Ray Moore and Dolomite. Like, mm-hmm. watch this and then go and watch those films. Yeah. Because even though, like... Like, let's make no bones about it. Those films are not good. Like, they're they're not good in a traditional sense at all. Like, they are the bottom of the barrel kind of uh, black exploitation stuff. They're they're just kind of not great, but they're highly enjoyable and they're important in film history. And uh, they're they're great party movies at the same time. Yeah. So, yeah. just watch this, and if you like it, check out fucking what Rudy Ray Moore was doing. Check out his comedy albums. Check out his, you know his. His dirty ass comedy albums, where he's like naked on the cover of his album with a bunch of naked chicks, and it's like you know just really on the nose jokes about you know you know I'm sticking my dick in her and shit like that, you know like <laughs> you know no bones about it. But um, yeah, it, it's it's really good stuff. Yeah, um, things I'll mention. I watched the uh, Netflix release of that uh, short film by David Lynch from like 2016. 16 or something like that back in the day of like what what did jack do or whatever it's called okay it's it's a noir kind of pastiche in a way where it's uh, david lynch plays a cop who is interrogating a talking monkey and oh. <laughs> and then they do the the sort of process where they have like a human's lips superimposed on the monkey talking <laughs> and it's only 17 minutes so it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's typically weird Lynchian stuff where he's, you know, it's kind of, it, it's just kind of like one of his short art films that he's been doing like all the time when in between actual like feature length movies. And uh, I liked it. Like it's, it's, it kind of is Twin Peaksy in a little way, but it's him kind of working through noir kind of tropes at the same time and um and all the dialogue is like it doesn't make sense it's surreal i'm not gonna pretend i understand what the fuck he's going for because i don't honestly believe lynch even knows what he's going for half the time like he just is <laughs> like fuck it i'm just doing weird D- shit D- does the monkey take a piss and then go like <laughs> heineken uh, at any point in the uh, in the film no, uh, the well, monkey does. The monkey does uh, have a love affair going on with a chicken, though, and talks descriptively about running his hands up the chicken's breasts, and <laughs> and how that's like the greatest feeling in the world, uh, kind of. Well, uh, sounds like uh, sounds like another another masterpiece from David Lynch. <laughs> it, it's actually a. It's a, it's an enjoyable no, it, like it does, seventeen minutes. I, I, I don't I don't even mean that. I don't even know if I'm joking at that. <laughs> like it sounds very David Lynch. Yeah, no, uh, I, I'd say it's a one time watch, but it's it's an enjoyable one time watch from David Lynch. Like it, if you want something different on Netflix right now, that's the most different thing on Netflix you're gonna find. <laughs> All right, well we'll seek it out for sure, definitely. The other thing I'll mention is uh, recently I watched uh, Joker, and yeah, um, yeah that film was way overhyped uh (laughs) there's no opinion you can have on this film that will not piss people off there's yeah it's just you know 
I know, just the I know, reality. I know yeah. our friend uh, Kit Power loves this film. Yeah, uh, no, he was like changed. He's a changed man because of Joker. I, um, I, I don't, I don't get that. He also really loves Gangs of New York, though. So, uh, well, okay. Uh, I'll say it's you know it's someone who really loves Martin Scorsese. Doesn't know what Martin Scorsese's films are actually about, but knows how to ape his visual style and and put it on screen. The film is beautiful. It looked great. Like it's it's a great looking film. Joaquin Phoenix performance. Everything you heard about it, it's true. It's a great performance. It's also smoke and mirrors because it kind of hides the fact that the film itself isn't all that really deep. <laughs> Certainly, there's never been a film starring the Joker that did that. No, of course not. Of course not. <laughs> um, yeah, this, the Dark Knight. You know. It, yeah, no. It, it, it's weird. Like this film would be way better if it didn't have the sort of stigma of Batman on it. Like if it was just a vigilante film, and even then, I don't think it would work all that well. Because here's the thing: like this film, I found it kind of insulting its attitudes towards mental illness. It's just like, yeah. oh, well, here, here's the here's the message of the film. If you piss off the mentally ill, they're going to murder you. Like, the, and which is <laughs> why which don't is, why don't why don't I just watch this film next week and yeah. we can talk about it for real? Because I think I think it's I think it's time for us to like. I don't want you to have to dance around this any longer. So I'll tell you what: I will watch the film <laughs> next week and we will discuss it briefly at the beginning of the next episode. How does that sound? Yeah, and I'm and here's the thing: I'll say I liked it. I liked it all right. I, I just feel like it's. A lot of people are reading way more into it than it's actually there, um, if for better or for worse. Because you know, it, it feels like half the half the, like the the fucking mass media was like really disappointed that a bunch of incels didn't go and shoot up a theater after watching this. Like, oh, don't even get me started on that. That's a completely yeah. separate issue. <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it's a film that like hints at Antifa and stuff like that without understanding it at all, and it's it's kind of like baiting. And I, I was really disappointed in those aspects. At the same time, it's like, oh my god, great performances, looks really good on on its face, really interesting movie to watch, and could have been way better. That, that's yeah. kind of where I sit at that. But uh, yeah, I'll mention one more. I watched uh, Color Out of Space, which is the return to directing from Richard Stanley. The last thing he did, he was the fired director on. The uh, Island of Doctor Moreau from uh, oh oh yeah okay yeah. okay yeah who uh, before that he did a couple interesting like, <clears throat> genre films and so he got that big job on Island of Doctor Moreau got fired went crazy yep. disguised himself and infiltrated the <laughs> the production of it while it was still going on and shit so he's finally back and he makes a H.P. Lovecraft adaptation with Nicolas Cage at the forefront. Uh, you got the full-on Nicolas Cage craziness that is not as well-checked as it was in like a movie like Mandy, which I loved. But at the same time, I liked this a lot. I thought it was, story-wise, it kind of followed H.P. Lovecraft's uh, Color Out of Space story fairly well. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of interesting visuals. The gore and stuff was like just a direct callback to Carpenter's The Thing. There's actually a scene that's like a direct homage to Carpenter's The Thing, uh, involving a bunch of llamas, of all things, which is just interesting. Nicolas Cage milking llamas is probably a meme that's going to happen somewhere down the line, because he does that in this. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's not perfect. 
but it's, it's I've heard I've fun. heard really interesting things about this, so it, it's on my it's on my to watch list for sure. But uh... it's 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 definitely a geek show. Like it's it, it's it's very over the top in a lot of ways, but um, and and it kind of depends on your tolerance for Nicolas Cage. Like if you if you don't like big Nicolas Cage, you're probably going to be super turned off by this. But um, I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good overall. So uh, I, I thought it, it adapted the source material and kind of is true to sort of Lovecraft's cosmic horror stuff in awesome. a lot of ways. So yeah, it's, it's worth checking out. And that's all I got. <laughs> all right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So we're done then. We don't have any more to do where we can, we can, end yeah, the we, uh, yeah. See you Save next week Facebook. guys. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. We're we can gonna... talk about racism now. Is that what's going to happen? Yeah. We're going <laughs> to take about, about racism. <laughs> we're going to talk about a lot of racist shit. Um, <laughs> we're going to be back after some podcast promos and some music, and we're going to talk about a lot of racist shit. <laughs> <laughs> some of it intended and some of it clearly not <laughs> how about throwing a little beach party for yourself and letting these people to get to know you oh so better hey kids it's me your good friend Alistair here to tell you about a wonderful movie podcast called Get Soft with Dr. Snuggles what happens is every two weeks the love of my life Siobhan and I are joined by a cast of friends, family, internet weirdos and special guests to guide you through the wild and woolly world of erotic thrillers and softcore films. Everything from alien abduction, intimate secrets to Zarita, Passions Avenger and all points in between. Check it out now on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. What's that horrid man talking about?
All right, Broken Blossoms from 1919. <laughs> hold uh, on, hold on. Let's just start here. Broken Blossoms or The Yellow Man and the Girl is the actual title. Do I, Should I say the other one? Feel free. Go ahead. The, the Chink and the Child? <laughs> the, there's, yes. I think that's the title of the actual story this is based upon. That, that's the story that the, that the the story this is based on. <laughs> so, <laughs> D.W. Griffith, four years after making The Birth of a Nation, the film that, like, rebirthed the Ku Klux Klan, just in mm. case anyone's keeping track at home, said, you know what? I'm going to adapt the book, The Chink and the Child. <laughs> but I mean, but, Daniel, but I, need made... to, I need to back away from the racism slightly. We're going to call it The Yellow Man and the Girl. <laughs> but Daniel, he made intolerance. That's that's his yeah. apology for Birth no, of a that's, Nation. That's not, that's not what that was. Intolerance. No. <laughs> he published a booklet in 1916 that was about the intolerance that people showed his goddamn film, The Birth of a Nation. <laughs> and also, that's what intolerance were, means. And, and also, all people, you being intolerant to me and, was and, rebirthing the, the Ku Klux Klan. You know. Anyway, all right. Also I'm not angry were, about this. You know, and also, anyway. also people were really mean to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the yeah, fiction. They were really program. mean to Jesus. They were really mean to Jesus and me. And yeah. uh, you know, yeah. Uh, d- despite this, D.W. Yeah. Griffith, uh, director here is. Still an incredibly famous director for his time. Um, together with Charlie Chaplin, Mary Pickford, and Douglas Fairbanks founding United Artists. So there, there is some good from D.W. Griffith. Also known for being a pioneer in uh, modern film techniques to a certain degree with close-ups and stuff like that. So there, there are probably overstated. I mean, honestly, probably. Kind of, there's, there's a cult of Griffith that like yeah. everything he used, he gets credited with inventing. And, you know, fear, serious film scholars pretty can, can debunk almost all of that, you know, but he was a huge blockbuster filmmaker who was like using these techniques to make massively important films. Um, and so it's worth talking about. Um, you know, I, I kind of oh. knew this one. Sorry, go ahead, and we should we should actually like introduce just, the film. I guess. Yeah, you know? I was I was gonna say, although this is kind of like the end of his blockbuster run. Like, yeah, he after this, he never made a film that was like Intolerance was a failure commercially, and he never made a film that was more successful than Intolerance after this. So, right. um, which you know, karma, bitch. Um, <laughs> although probably not really in that era. Writers Thomas Burke, who did the original story, uh, and of course uh, D.W. Griffith, uh, Leland Gish as Lucy, the girl, and she's incredibly famous, known uh, as the first lady of American cinema. Seventy-five year career from silent era in 1912 through to the late 1980s, yep. uh, known for her uh, acting techniques, which were very influential. Where she put more nuance in the way she acted as opposed to the more theatrical acting styles of the time and kind of <clears throat> kind of helped the jump from stage acting to uh, what we know as cinematic acting these days uh, from, for, you know, from the, the silent to the talkies. She has 63 films before this one, by the way, <laughs> which is fucking crazy. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and, 
she went on you to have her pro- working. Like you'd film, no. you'd film a, you'd make a movie in three or four weeks and then just move on to the next one. Like that's how like that's she, how you worked. Yeah. Like she died in I think ninety three and her last film was with Betty Davis in nineteen eighty nine or something like that. Yeah. So like yeah. Did not quit. Richard Bartholomus as Ching Hun, the yellow man. Donald Crisp as Battling Burroughs, and he was Ulysses S. Grant in Birth of a Nation. And <laughs> um yeah, and he and he had a pretty long career. A lot of these people had actually fairly long careers. Arthur Howard as Battling Burroughs manager, uh Edward Peel Sr. as Evil Eye, which is I don't know if this guy's more insulting as a <laughs> Yellow face. <laughs> like I think we'll get there. I think we'll get there. In a minute. <laughs> uh, George Berenger is the spying one, and Norman Selby is a prize fighter. And here's the synopsis here from Tony Fontana. Ching Hung is a missionary whose goal is to bring the teachings of peace by Buddha to the civilized Anglo-Saxons. Upon landing in England, he is quickly disillusioned by the intolerance and apathy of the country. He becomes a storekeeper in a small shop. Out of his window, he sees the young Lucy Burroughs. She is regularly beaten by her prizefighter father, underfed, and wears ragged clothes. Even in this deplorable condition, Ching can see that she is a priceless beauty, and he falls in love with her from afar. On the day that she passes out in front of his store, he takes her in and cares for her. With nothing but love in his heart, he dresses her in silks and provides food for her. Still weak, she stays in the shop that night, and all that Ching does is watch over her. The peace and happiness that he sees last only until battling Burroughs finds out that his daughter is with a foreigner. And yeah, that's kind of what like it's it's kind of painting a nice picture of this. Which yeah, it's is, definitely painting a, a, a shall we say whitewashed uh, portrait of this. <laughs> Okay, so I'm just going to throw over to you, Daniel. Talk about this film. <laughs> sure. Um, I kind of knew this one. I knew this one by title. Um, mm-hmm. I had kind of read about it and really didn't remember much about it. I was like, oh, melodrama with uh, Lillian Gish and it's later D.W. Griffith. And yeah, we should do it. On the, we should definitely do this one. You know, completely forgot the racial element. When I picked this one. <laughs> Honestly, it's nice. It pairs quite well with the next film. So, uh you know, I, I think it puts it puts the uh, it puts within our gates into context. Um, there's a tendency to kind of look at this and go like, "Oh, it's a product of its time." And let me let me let, let's just let's just highlight this right now. Um, the the quote unquote Chinese characters in this are are white men in, in yellow face, and it's a very overt well, yellow face. Um, there's, there's like there's two overt ones, and then there's a lot of background characters who right. are actually Asian. Right, right. Yeah. Um, the same kind of thing that he did in in Birth of a Nation, where he had, you know, blacked up, you know, African American characters mm-hmm. uh, playing, you know, in your kind of your key roles, or uh, blacked up uh, white people playing, uh, right, and then surrounded by actual a mix of black people and other white people in in blackface. So, um, this is, uh, <laughs> you know, nothing nothing unique to to this film. Uh, nothing that we're not going to see over and over again as we yeah. move forward. You know, I'll say uh, Bartholomew is, is Ching Huan is playing a, uh, a stereotype. In fact, he's playing three stereotypes. Mm. <laughs> he's the inscrutably wise Chinese man. Who, by the way, in the, in the titles, it's not like oh, we need to go and fight and like bring our teachings to the civilized whites. It's like like the brutish Anglo Saxons. 
Yeah. And I guarantee you that's not what D.W. Griffith felt about this. No. Um, he's out. He's obviously sort of, um, you know, uh, throwing shade on the Chinese. by. Well, he's know, got a counterpart scene that. here where there's this Catholic priest who's like, Oh, here's here's my uh, here's my uh, friend, brother, or whatever, or father, or whatever, who's gonna go, oh, to your country, and he's gonna bring uh, he's gonna bring the religion to the heathens. Right, right. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard to know exactly what D.W. Griffith believes. Certainly, in Birth of a Nation, and um, <laughs> I once did a podcast about Birth of a Nation. It was a disastrous recording. I probably still have the basic elements somewhere that might end up being something at some point. <laughs> but I recorded, I've, I've seen Birth of a Nation many times. I recorded like four hours on it. Um, I am intimately familiar with Birth of a Nation. It is a masterpiece. We are not doing it on this show for a lot of really good reasons. Um, there's no need to to go through it on this show. But yeah, so talking about this, just aside from, just take the racism out for a second, mm-hmm. all right? <laughs> Although it's hard because it just comes right back up every time you think about it. Uh, but take 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 the obvious yellow face out of it for a second. Yeah. Okay. This is a, a melodrama. Sorry, sorry, I was gonna say the uh the lead character is both he's also he's an inscrutable Chinese wise man. He's yep. a <laughs> servant or a uh, kind of kind of a, a low level worker, like a shopkeeper. Mm-hmm. Um and he's like yellow peril to the white woman, and so he he kind of gets to be all three of those things at once, um, depending on like what the script needs him to be. And he also yeah. gets kind of like saintly and and sexless and chaste, and you know it's basically every Asian stereotype rolled into one. Um, it's kind of kind of the, the basic thing, and it's played by a white guy. Again, that said, the melodrama is pretty effective. Like once you can kind mm-hmm. of get past that, I think that the the story of Ching Wan and um, the girl um, Lucy Burroughs. Um, they they kind of like uh, he kind of like longs for her and he sort of uh, sees her for who she is sees sees her beauty for what it is it is kind of one of those things of no one else realizes how gorgeous Lillian Gish is in this film <laughs> kind of it's, it's 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 weird because like everyone else like and her father just treats her like a an object to abuse right and and he treats her like it's it's not as it's not healthy either he puts her on a pedestal like it, right, it's, exactly. it's like it's it's you know it's the madonna or the whore thing right like right. you know i mean i mean she kind of has like a cinderella story in a way. i mean you know although mm-hmm. she's not she's less she's more brutalized than you know sort of like forced to work or whatever um, right i mean she does that but but it's more you know, she's kind of the the the, but the she, young woman. She's uh, she's stuck in a situation though, where it's like the hookers reject her. Like it's like you don't want this life. Stay right. away from us, girl. You know, and she she has nowhere to go. Like she she is stuck being subservient to her abusive father, and that's right. kind of like where she is. Yeah, right. And so it puts her in this situation, and then like kind of the only the only person who sees her for anything is this. You know, again, this this you know. Asian immigrant. And so you can kind of view that as a, a sort of like working class, um, you know, kind of, kind of examination of the realities of kind of racial uh, relations um, mm. among the, among the lower class, among the underclass and uh, sort of, sort of a recognition of, of certain realities, but it, the film, it leans towards that, but it is difficult to really give it a lot of credit for that just because of just how, depersonalized um Shin Wen is even if we did have him played by an Asian man <laughs> by a Chinese man you know 
I do think that a lot of the uh, cinematography, uh, this is shot on sound stages. Uh, this isn't shot anywhere. Um, this isn't shot on, a, on, a, on location. But it's pretty, I mean, it's gorgeous photography, obviously. I mean, mm-hmm. this, is, this is incredibly well made. A lot of the lighting is going to kind of come back to us when we start doing film noir. It was kind of like rediscovered um, in some ways. It's, it's, it's kind of leaning in that direction. And so it's it's easy to kind of view this as kind of an early example of film noir, although obviously it's not really kind of doing the same kind of thing. It's shot very similarly to that. Mm-hmm. I would imagine Fritz Lang saw this film at some point, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Did, did you uh, did you watch the version of this where it had the different color tints? I did. Or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I watched the version. I mean, all of these, all of these, we're gonna watch for a while on, on YouTube. YouTube so. Yeah. Um, in fact, there are a couple of different versions. So the version I watched did have the color tinting, and I mean, it looked gorgeous. I mean, I had no uh, problem watching the film. Um, when we get to within our gates, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, detail. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 gorgeously done. It's obviously very well shot. It's uh, well acted all the way across. Yeah. Um, despite the fact that Bar- Barthelmus is playing <laughs> this <laughs> awful stereotype. And not really given humanity by by the script or by the by the you know the you know you can tell he's doing what he needs to do in order to play this character. I'll give him props for that. I mean, you know, it's 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 one of the fight sequences. The uh, there, there's a there's a big boxing sequence towards the middle of the film. It's very it's well done. Very like, well, like very effective. If if you slowed that down, that would look like an actual boxing match. Like yeah. it's that well done. And uh, I mean, you know, that's you know partly because like around the time the, f- the film was made, they, I mean, this, I mean, you could have almost just like shot an actual boxing match. <laughs> you know, you could have shown mm-hmm. up one of these places, you know. And then it ends with a uh, noble sacrifice and uh, some some people dying and stuff. And uh, you know, I don't know, some of the putting Lillian Gish in threat and in, in peril for the entire film from her father. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that stuff gets really really uncomfortable once you kind of realize who D.W. Griffith was in his in his real life. Like uh, he definitely. Um, he thought that was hot, probably, you know. So he's kind of oh, acting out his own like kind of little sexual fantasies. Oh, I mean, he was he was kind of a groper and a bit of a brutalizer woman, um, but oh. counts. Um, and so there is something kind of deeply uncomfortable about that. Uh, but it is again well executed. It's it's an un, it's an unpleasant. It's a deeply unpleasant film to to kind of watch and to talk about. I mean, there's just you know the the, the humor is just in wow. Look at how fucking racist and awful this is. <laughs> but it is well made. It is incredibly well made. It um, is, yeah. You know, in some ways, it's you know it, it's easier to watch in a lot of ways than uh, than Birth of a Nation. Although it's certainly shorter. <laughs> but uh, although it's <laughs> while it's easier to watch, the bits that are uncomfortable are even more kind of like uncomfortable in even more complicated ways. Like at least birth of a nation is just kind of overtly racist and terrible. Whereas this thinks it's being kind of like a liberal crusader to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, it does kind of hit you in just that like uncanny Valley of awfulness in some ways. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of hard to, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I keep wanting to find a joke, but it's, it's kind of difficult. Uh, it's know, so, yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a difficult watch. Um, it's, it's a beautiful looking film. The, the print I watched on YouTube is about as restored as you're going to get. And it looks great with the different color tints. Um, definitely helps like with the mood and everything. I have no doubt that DW Griffith uh, had no intent in, in, in a lot of this that I sort of pulled from it at the same time. Like, I'm just kind of pulling this stuff, maybe even just kind of fooling myself half the time. But I mean, uh, the interracial love story is definitely, it feels a little progressive for this time. Like, I think maybe this is, this This is is probably the first interracial love story on film. Yeah. Yeah. And the sense of equality and the sort of economic squalor of the Limehouse 
where like whites and uh, Asians are all kind of the same class where they're, they're all sort of coexisting and there doesn't seem like, at least in this film, it's not portrayed like there's a lot of racial strife necessarily right. between them, uh, which is interesting. But in today's context, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's hard to, it's hard to watch this and go, Oh, yeah, this is kind of cool. Like, no, it's, it's not cool. <laughs> I, I do like uh, battling Burroughs, though. Uh, like, just, just the acting alone. Like, Lillian Gish and the guy who does battling Burroughs. They're, Donald Crisp. Yeah, they are far advanced over everybody else in this film. You can see Lillian Gish had, yeah, 63 films before this. And she's a fucking seasoned actress. And she's well, great. And, and a giant movie star. At this point. Yeah, I mean, like possibly the biggest movie star in the world, certainly female movie star at this time, might have been Lillian Gish, and she she's fucking great. And uh, battling Burroughs, uh, he one of his ears, it's not only cauliflower, it's nearly torn off, like it's it's hanging off his head, basically, right. you know, and, which is great. Uh, he looks like uh, Bob Hoskins if he was Frankenstein's monster or something like that. <laughs> oh, like, <yeah. laughs> I, I I love that. The closet scene, which is probably one of the most famous scenes in this, not only because it's just startling to watch, uh, the trivia for this also is like, uh, apparently when this was being filmed, people actually thought someone was being killed or something like that because it, because Griffith was encouraging Gish to scream as she right. did this. But um, I was watching this and I couldn't help but, uh, I don't know if Kubrick was influenced by this, but... This felt like Shelley Duvall and Jack Nicholson shining. Like, it, it, oh, yeah. like there's an influence there. And I'd even like go as far as to say like uh, Michael Myers going after Jamie Lee Curtis in the closet in Halloween. It seems like there's kind of connections there. Yeah, there, there there's a lot of stuff in this that's really good. The, the the film overall, like there's a lot of stuff in this that's horrible, but I, I feel like it's a super important film, and even more so than like uh, like Griffith's earlier films. Like I, I, yeah. I feel like there's some really good stuff in this that are that's worth championing. Uh, well, some of the shots of the um, of Shing Wine uh, looming over Lillian Gish, which were supposed to be him, like sort of paternalistically protecting her, you know, but with this uh, again kind of yellow peril lighting, and you know, like it's really hard to understand what Griffith is doing in some of those sequences. Well, yeah, there's, um, there's, but there's looked, an extended... he looks like Nosferatu, like he look, he has, he this, does, yeah. There's, <clears> very... there's an extended shot of him, mm. like where he it, like it goes on for a minute or something, where yeah. he's just looking at her, and it's yeah, it's straight up Nosferatu or. Something along those lines. Well, where they give like, him this like hunchback. He's kind of like standing, like hunched yeah. over. He's deeply dehumanized, and mm-hmm. yet he's supposed to be this sort of love interest. And I mean, it's like, but, uh, but look at couldn't... this beautiful woman falling in love with like Nosferatu, the monster from China. <laughs> you know, like it's you know, it's like it's so well-meaning, and yet like it is. We're doing the searchers. This is the whole conversation around the searchers. We just yeah. lucked into it, didn't we? And I mean, they. And I mean, at, at this time, you you couldn't have like a white woman kiss an Asian character, whether it's an Asian or a man, a dude doing fucking yellow face. You couldn't do it, and so it, it's very sanitized. It's very simplistic. It's very. Um, there's no depth to the love story between these two characters. Again, it, it's it's putting Lillian Gish on a pedestal. Like it, yeah. it, it, it's it's very very simplistic, very naive, and. There's there's a lot of uncomfortable shit in this film. <laughs> like I, I was watching, 
I mean, I've, I've probably not been more torn by a film in a long time than this, honestly, because I like so much of this. And then at the same time, a lot of this just made me feel like, oh my God, this is terrible shit. The, the guy who plays Evil Eye, who is clearly Caucasian, like, they <laughs> don't even... like an Italian Goomba. <laughs> he does. The, the only thing that I can see is they, they, they shaved his hey, eyebrow. Hey, yo, boss, I'm Evil Eye. I'm going to go, I'm going to go check out, I'm going to go check out the broad there, man. You know? <laughs> and I mean, you know, our, our main our main character Yellowface and the and him all they did is basically shave their eyebrows like they they look more like Vulcans than they do fucking Chinese and I'm I'm, I'm expecting fucking Captain Kirk to walk in and karate chop one of them or some shit you know like it's just I I, I don't I I don't know what I'm I'm giving a recommendation it's it's a really well made film but it's a really the the intentions I, I I don't believe the intentions were good. I, I believe it was more Griffith trying to bolster his PR. Like I, I think that's what he was trying to do in this. People should probably see this if you're interested in early cinema. Yeah. There's a lot to like in this. There's a lot not to like. It's not a particularly good film, but it is possibly a great one. Lillian Gish's performance in this is great. Like it's yeah. it's it's fucking awesome. And uh the guy who plays Battling Burroughs He's fucking amazing. Like those those performances are great. Like you can see how progressive those performances are, just in the sense of cinematic performances. Like they're head above everyone else in this. Like the guy who plays the uh, the guy who goes upstairs and notices that Lillian Gish is in the upstairs room and then tattles on her. <clears throat> That performance is like the, you know, the the theatrical, oh boy, you know, jumping around performance, which is just night and day from uh, Gish and and Battling Burroughs. Like it's it's it feels like it's from a different movie, you know, at this point. Yeah, no, it's yeah, watch it, definitely watch it, but just understand <laughs> as much as it might want to pretend its intentions are in the best place. It's probably not. It's well, and Griffith has uh, this kind of, you know, hugely stated kind of history. Like in terms of like you can't understand silent cinema, you can't understand the history of film without, you know, Griffith like invented all this stuff. And again, like mm-hmm. people who get into this stuff, and you know, you and I are not <laughs> experts on this era, right? Um, no, he did not invent all of this. He is not like the most important filmmaker of this era. He is one of the big blockbuster filmmakers. He made the highest grossing film of all time for 25 years. <laughs> you know, Birth of a Nation. Are you, are, um, wait, wait, are you saying he's the Michael Bay of silent film? He's a bit of the Michael Bay, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. that, that was actually kind of a comparison I was thinking of when I was watching this. Like, yeah, kind of like the, you know, the nuance is just not there. It's just. It's not even, it's not even like the Michael Bay. I mean, you could. Uh, <laughs> Christopher Nolan, you know, like <laughs> technically, you know, highly technically proficient films that are like deeply, deeply fucked up on every other level, you know? <laughs> and not even really that innovative in their like technique. Like, you know, look at the action choreography of The Dark Knight sometime. I promise you. <laughs> like, try to storyboard that shit. It doesn't work. Anyway, uh, moving on. We've shit on that film twice in this episode without even trying to. Um, yeah, no, I think we can move on from this. People kind of get where we're going at. And there's just, I mean, one thing about this, particularly compared with Within Our Gates, is there's just not much to it. 
Mm-hmm. Like it, it feels very like it's it's you know it's well shot, it's well made, it's well acted. Uh, particularly Gish and Crisp are amazing. You walk away from it, and for me, it's like okay, what what happened in that movie? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, there's no there's no nothing nothing really sticks to it. You know, yeah, everybody died. <clears throat> Everyone you care about dies, and that's yeah. it. Budget eighty eight thousand. Box office was six hundred thousand. Apparently, in the U.S. at least. And a little bit of trivia here: this movie was originally made for Adolf Zucker at uh, Paramount Pictures, but uh, D.W. Griffith bought it from him in order to release it through his United Artists company. We mentioned Ching Han is very saintly in this. That's definitely a departure from the actual source material, where he's just an Asian guy who joined the Merchant Marines and then gets trapped in an opium den and. You know, oh, he, God, right. I forgot the opium den. Jesus Christ. Yeah, like, th- there's a lot like, of that, There's right? even a scene where it's like, and then the and then the Chinese man finds his true place in the world, and then it cuts to opium den. It's like, yeah. Jesus Christ, you know, you're <laughs> There's uh, so much, like, implicit racism in this. I forgot the explicit racism. Like, that's the level <laughs> The only makeup Richard Bartholomus used uh, in order to appear oriental was a very tight rubber band stretched around his forehead, mm. pulling his facial features slightly upwards, and, of course, his cap covered that. This film was a hit at the box office, earning United Artists a profit of 700000 So that's actually a conflicting number to the 600000 for the U.S. I'm assuming maybe they like included in foreign... Uh, takes or something like that or there are multiple sources nobody's really keeping track of like nobody was keeping track of box office receipts in this era like yeah uh and there was was estimated at this point and there was a uk remake in 1936 of this apparently (laughs) which i'm I'm sure is far more progressive than this i'm sure i'm sure it's much I'm just going to leave that there. We can just move on. Hello, love. Hey, is that a nation? I'm here from Shanghai, love. Oh, I love, I love the uh, the uh, the cards for this too. Where it's you know, get out of that closet, you're. Like, well, I, it is. I mean, it, it is it's even. It's even like you know, racist against like the the lower class white people. You yeah. know, like it has to give him you know this like pigeon English. You know, whenever he's being you know violent, like, yeah, you get in the closet. You know, he's like talking like Popeye the Sailor Man, right? <laughs>
moving on. Uh, Within Our Gates, 1920, and this is directed by uh, Oscar uh, Mishaw, uh, novelist and filmmaker who did 44 films, credited as the oldest surviving uh, black-directed uh, film, I, I guess. Uh, the oldest surviving film directed by an African-American. Yeah, uh, written by him as well. Uh, Evelyn uh, Preer as Sylvia Landry, Flo Clements as Alma Pritchard, James D. Ruffian as Conrad DeBurr, Jack Chenault as uh, Larry Pritchard, William Smith as uh, Philip Gentry, Charles D. Lucas as Dr. V. Vivian, uh, Bernice Ladd as uh, Mrs. Geraldine Stratton. Oh my God, we're going to talk about that bitch. Uh, <laughs> Miss Evelyn as Miss Elita Warwick, uh, William Starks as Jasper Landry. Maddie Edwards is Jasper's wife, and Ralph Johnson as Philip Griddlestone. And synopsis here from Arthur Hausner. Oh my god, this is a big synopsis. Why did I copy and paste this shit? Um, There's a lot of movie here. Like, there is. Minutes. This is, yeah, we'll get to that when we get to the commentary, but yeah, please, go ahead. Southern Negro, <laughs> Sylvia Landry visits her Which, cousin What's the Alma. term that they used at the time? And it's in the, it's in the, it's, title, it's in cards. the title cards, so it's all right. <laughs> so, it's all right, yeah, people. It's, it's fine. <laughs> don't get too don't get too fucking woke on us here. Visits her cousin Alma in the north, where there is less racial prejudice than in her hometown in Piney Woods in the deep south, and is anxiously awaiting her fiance Conrad. But Alma has designs on Conrad and tricks Sylvia into compromising situations, uh, and he abandons her. Disheartened, she returns to Piney Woods to help a reverend running a school for young Negroes. Sylvia learns that the Reverend hasn't the heart to turn away poor students, and unless he can raise $5,000 to supplement the $1.49 per child per year that the state supplies, the school will be closed. She goes up north again to try to raise the money and has little success, but meets kindly Negro Dr. V. Vivian, who helps her regain her stolen purse. When she saves the child from being hit by an auto, she herself is slightly injured. But the owner of the car is a uh, philanthropist, Mrs. Elena Warwick, who is sympathetic to her quest and promises to donate the $5,000 to the school. Her bigoted Southern friend, Miss Stratton, that fucking bitch, tries to talk her out of the donation, and Miss Warwick gets so incensed, she raises the amount to $50,000. Her job done, Sylvia returns to Piney Woods, but Dr. Vivian has fallen in love with Sylvia and goes to Alma to try to find her. There he learns the shocking details of her past and that of her family. And yeah, that that is kind of the plot, and <laughs> so much is left out. Yeah, just so left out even there. But yes, that is roughly the plot. Yes, that's a good job. Good job, Arthur. Yeah, Daniel. Uh, let's get into it. Should should state that this is a film that, like a trip to the moon, was thought lost for a while, and they found oh, a yeah. print from Spain. And they sort of did the same thing with the title cards, where it's like they were all translated to like Spanish. And they had to retranslate them back to English. And so I'm assuming we probably watched the same version on there YouTube. There are a couple of different ones on this. So which one did you watch? Um, I, I watched the one. It was from um, United Something Films or something like that on, on YouTube where it, it, it had like the restored. It, it was like from the 1993 restored okay. version of this where it had like remade title cards and stuff like that in in between yeah. the one that i watched was uh, the library of congress version 
which had uh, restored title cards, which looked the clearest. It was the it was mm-hmm. the easiest to watch. Um, it looked like the most kind of cleaned up version of it. Um, but it had no uh, audio track. <laughs> so I had yeah, to same choose. here. Yeah, I had okay. So so we we made the same decision. There is a version of this on Amazon Prime that the uh, the audio is there. It looks it it actually sounds like a really nice score. Oh, one thing that we just one nice thing to say about. Uh, uh, Broken Blossoms. I did really like the the music in that. Um, it is really good, and and is, apparently well, uh, D W Griffith was like behind the music in the original version of that too. Like yeah. I, I I don't know if we listened to his music from it, but whatever. Yeah. These films would have would have played with usually like live accompanying scores, yeah. and you know they would have mixed and matched, and who knows what you know if you saw it, you, you know it was not like attached to the print or anything. Anyway, right. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, so I watched the version without without uh, music, uh, which I said last time. You know, when we did the Perils of Pauline, I was like, actually, I kind of got into this more without a score. This, mm-hmm. I think, it did detract from it. I feel like having like music to kind of you know propel along would would have helped to 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 make this a little bit clearer. I'm just gonna say now this is uh, this is on the possibles for best of the year list for me. <clears throat> I got a lot out of this film. Um, again, as someone who's, who's studied birth of a nation pretty, pretty closely, uh, a lot of this is a, is a, you know, direct response to birth of a nation. I mean, it is kind of commented on that way. That's kind of the thing that people know about this, that they know nothing else about it. Did the, uh, did the director not though say he really didn't do this as a response though? Like, did he not, did not, like, I, I think I read somewhere he denied that this was a direct response to that. Okay. Well, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, uh, but it still is. It's and there are is. shots in this that are directly, <laughs> direct, like, I don't care what he said. <laughs> there are shots in this, like, in particular, like, you know, the, there's a scene in Birth of a Nation where, you know, this, this uh, you know, escaped slave goes and rapes a white girl. Yeah. Um, and there's a shot in this where it's, it's uh, you know, the um, the old guy's brother is, like, stalking a woman and it's it's literally a shot for shot like like redo um you know and and as well as it could be done on the on the like literally nothing budget they had to make so this so if, if Miss Shaw uh, denied it it was more like yeah I, I I I want people to see this film so let's let's just not say anything. well I think you can't divorce this also from there's a there's a conversation and look look we're two white guys let's let's not pretend we're not. We're not, you know, like what, scholars what, what? On, this, on this era, you know. Um, this film definitely exists within a uh, particular context within the African American community at that time. Mm-hmm. Michaud is was kind of a, a devotee of Booker T. Washington, um, and at this time there was this debate between Booker T. Washington and uh, W. W. E. B. Du Bois about uh, kind of like how African Americans should uh, rise up in society, like kind of like what they should do in order to kind of like. Mm-hmm escape the balance of white supremacy. <laughs> Booker T. Washington's answer was, look, don't fight for your, like, right. Don't fight for, like, the right to vote and that sort of thing. You know, you should fight for the right to be educated and to learn to trade so that you can then, like, better yourself economically. And, you know, you're going to rise up through the generations by just being able to to work. And, and so and so it sets a kind of second-class citizenship within society mm. so long as you get to um, have economic opportunities. And <clears throat> there is a Absolutely, if you're an African American person in 1920, there is a certainly a case to be made for like I don't really care about you know no nothing I do no voting is ever going to do anything anyway, but having economic opportunities and working within our own communities is going to allow us to like this is absolutely 
yeah, a no, point you of can, view, okay? You can, you can see the logic in it. I, I <laughs> definitely can, yeah. Whereas Dubois was like, well, what we need is, you know, our, our social rights. We need our, our voting rights and that sort of thing. And then we need a class of black intellectuals, the quote-unquote talented 10th, which will lead the other Negroes <laughs> into uh, into the... So both of these guys <laughs> have their issues, let's put it that way. Well, um, and all those viewpoints are actually kind of dis- discussed in this film. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. This is and so and so you can't watch this film. I mean, you can watch it and kind of enjoy it, but I mean, for me, watching it and kind of having an awareness of, you know, kind of where uh, the conversation about like what we would later call civil rights would uh, would mean. Um, this film is absolutely in conversation with that, and it is in conversation against a against a you know a white supremacist society and against mm-hmm. a. Uh, a deeply, you know, I mean, you know, the, the title card of the, the the opening title card is like, you know, uh, our educated, um, our educated, this educated Negro woman is, uh, exists in the North where uh, they do not suffer the uh, racism implicit in the South, uh, despite a lynching every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> so it's no, not quite as bad. There, Michelle. Yeah, doing your thing there. I see what you did. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. That's it. I mean, there's a lot in this film. Criticism. I think there's there's just a lot of movie here. Um, yeah. Michelle at this point was known as a as a novelist. Um, he yeah. had written several novels. This is his second film. Uh, the first film is of course lost. Um, unfortunately, um, I don't know that any of that film survives. Um, the, yeah, because yeah, I was I was reading about that. I was like, why aren't we doing that one? Oh, it's gone. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's kind of the problem. Um, no, this one is his second film. It was not a novel first, but it feels like it has a lot of the intertextual kind of connectedness that a novel does. I mean, there are just a lot of players. There are a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of stuff happening. And it's just really kind of confusing. And I think that's partly because we're seeing it 100 years later and we're not used to sort of the, the patterns of, it's of silence. Also, uh, it's also missing a couple scenes from what I've read. It's missing, it's missing a couple of scenes, which are not... I mean, uh, it would be nice to have those scenes, obviously, but I don't think are, are kind of like essential... To like, because we get a title card that kind of explains what what happened in the right. that like there's like three or four minutes missing, um, and it's basically just like, dude runs away to South America, yeah, <laughs> you know, like that's kind of the the story. But I do feel like there are a lot of people in this, and there's a lot of mm-hmm. kind of stuff moving around, and it's very easy to kind of you know like look away for a second and then look back and suddenly go, hold on, who is this person again? <laughs> um, and I and I think that that's just it's just it's a, it's a very texturally rich film. And so it, I think it will reward rewatching, and I am planning to, to rewatch this. Um, and I've I kind of did rewatch chunks of it before we sat down to record. That said, I think it's it's exceptionally well acted. It's well directed. This is uh, one of those things again made on a shoestring. Four prints of this were made. Period. <laughs> Four. Wow. <laughs> and so the fact that one of them survived is, 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 is I mean, it's a miracle. It's a miracle, and it, and it does mm-hmm. show. I think uh, to to some degree, you know, that it, that it was uh, played often enough that there was an audience enough for it that that somebody hung on to it for it for it to have even ended up in a vault somewhere so it does speak to like people kind of responded to this positively even at the time but yeah no there were four prints of this ever made <laughs> so you know <laughs> wow. what we have is all we're ever gonna get right yeah I, I i like this a lot i thought it it kind of felt like if, if, if Spike Lee was making films in this era, this would kind of be a film he might make because it was so complex. Yep. Uh, because um, although it's it is about race relations between blacks and whites, that's just kind of a side thing. It, it's much more interested in 
looking at the sort of class divide between various sort of castes in the black community at the time in America, where uh, specifically it sort of looks at the divide between darker skinned versus lighter skinned uh, blacks, where mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of mixed race blacks in this. Yep. Um, and Including, it turns out, our protagonist. We find mm-hmm. that at the very end. <laughs> yeah, like there, there's a lot of complex shit in this that is just like... Yep. Wow, you you plotted that out, and that's fucking great. Um, I mean, this is this is a film made for black audiences. This mm-hmm. is not a film. I mean, you and I are watching it again a hundred years later, but it's not made for us. Not just because it's a hundred years later, but this isn't made for a white audience, like at all. No, like, I mean, it's made it, for it, an African American audience, and it, and it's contemporary of the time. Like it presents mm-hmm. a contemporary black society in North America, blacks striving for bettering themselves with their sort of newfound freedom in the North. Like it, it sort of really sort of hits on that. And it's like, it, it's interesting that it's like all the black characters are sort of presented as even in the flawed ones, they're trying to better themselves or they're, they're, they're trying to like get educated get better in society well well even the ones that are like kind of openly like kind of betraying their people and um mm-hmm. <laughs> you know uh selling selling their souls to the to the white men are, are kind of portrayed as like well what else are you gonna do right you well know, like, i mean this this film, not, not what um... else are you gonna do it's not i mean they are they are you know not slotted in the film but it but it is like you know it's it's seen it's like yeah this is this is an option available to us if if you you know if you want to be successful um they might decide to murder you just because they can't find the person they want to murder but uh you know that's an option it is but an I mean, option when you get to uh sort of the backstory between our main protagonist there's a character that parodies the host negro thing with the exaggerated yeah. acting as well with you know mm-hmm. like the oh yes a master kind of shit you know like yeah. like it, it does yeah. that like it, it parodies it like it's knowingly like fuck that shit and it, yeah. it makes fun of it you know well we, we had the preacher character kind of earlier in the film who uh you know i think we were going to talk a little bit about the the uh the, the the genteel southern woman who's like oh these people they don't need an education what they need you just pay you just pay that old tom there you know, a hundred dollars and he'll make sure to keep them in line for you. And okay. then it cuts to the preacher. And then the preacher is literally going like, you know, no, we just need to obey the white folks because if we obey the white folks, God's going to like us more. And then it turns out he's in the pocket of like the rich industrialist white people. I didn't get that. Okay. So first off the big racist woman in this Geraldine Stratton, mm-hmm. who is against woman's suffrage. Because <laughs> right. she's afraid black women might get the vote. Yeah. Holy yeah. fuck! What the, <laughs> what the fuck is that shit? Which is not at all an uncommon perspective in in this era. Like she's yeah. not only a fucking. And in racist. fact, even the suffer, even the pro suffrage forces. One of the common arguments is like, look, the black men get to vote, and clearly, we white women are superior to them. Oh, god. Uh, so she's not only, <laughs> but, but the thing about this, this fucking, this fucking bloviating bitch is she's not only a fucking racist, she's a fucking classist. She, yeah. she, she even looks down on her fellow white people. Yeah. Anyone working in labor is beneath her. And in her opinion, that's their proper place. And that's their purpose. They have no right to better themselves. Yep. And Jesus Christ, one of my most hated 
film villains ever. This piece of shit. She she is fucking garbage. I wanted to see her hung at the end of this film. That would have been beautiful. Yeah, yeah, no, no. This film, it's pretty awake to the fact that uh, the white man used religion to pacify the black population in America. Yep. To control them. Uh, you know, offer the downtrodden a better tomorrow uh, in the afterlife. So, you know, mitigate the suffering of your current life where you're, you know, subservient to the white man, you know. But in, in the end, you know, Jesus is going to accept you and you'll, you'll go to heaven or whatever right. bullshit. You, and you, you get spiritual rewards based on your suffering here. And you know we don't want the we don't want the bounty that God has given the white man because that just leads us into licentiousness and sin, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. <laughs> so I might be mistaken here. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I thought the black preacher was not in the pockets of the white man. I thought he was actually kind of revolutionary and like basically saying, "Fuck whitey, us black people, we're going to be saved, and we're going to, and we should better ourselves." I, that was well. There are two. There are two preachers here because there's oh, one okay. that's the the guy who uh, again a lot of characters to keep track of. Mm-hmm. There's one who's kind of the protagonist who ends up who's running the school and who ends up marrying. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So he's 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 our good guy, right? There's another preacher who's the one who's you know saying who has that kind of like big sequence in the middle of the film where he's, you know, kind of in front of the congregation and like the congregation is, uh, you know, half of them are asleep and then half of them are wrapped and, you know, half of them, half are, of them are wearing food. the worst makeup I've seen in a film. And the worst. Yeah, no, <laughs> there's some like pull off the old man wigs and be like, no, actually I'm 30 years old and I'm going to kick your ass now, you know? No. And then we get a shot of like kind of him, like kind of hanging out with the, with the kind of, the, the I guess the bankers or the industrialists or whatever, and he's sort of like feeding them the same the same line like oh don't worry I mean don't worry I'll keep him in line for you you know and there's definitely a sense of he's in this for the money I mean I don't think okay. we actually see money changing hands and so I may be mistaken on on some of the the intricacies there again there's a lot in this film I mean that's the, that's the know. thing like I, I I watched this twice and I was like. There's a lot of shit going on in this fucking film. <laughs> I kept having to rewind, like you know, two or three minutes, and then yeah. walk again, and then go. Oh, that's the thing. That's the bit I was supposed to to, to catch there. Um, and unfortunately, there's not like a detailed, like even the like plot summaries on Wikipedia mm-hmm. and stuff don't really capture everything. I mean, it's all no, kind of very. They, kind they of really don't. And, like this yeah. is this is super fucking complex, and it's like, and it's only like a seventy nine minute fucking film or whatever, and it's like, yep. what the fuck. <laughs> like I, I can, and this film was like highly censored at its time. Like it, it, it took a while to get released, and I can kind of understand why because I'm sure a couple of white people in the censor board saw this and like, Jesus Christ, we can't let this fucking get out. <laughs> Particularly when we get to um, when we get to the final third, um, mm-hmm. which I think is what people remember about the film if anybody kind of if people kind of remember anything about it i mean i mean look it's it's kind of you know it kind of fits this it's a bunch of different genres just kind of mashed up into one like Mm -hmm. it's melodrama about a woman trying to raise money for a school and like finding a wealthy patron who will like kind of take care of things it's kind of a crime drama because it's got this you know criminal subplot about this man who was courting our protagonist or trying to court her, but she's got this kind of beau who's uh, traveling, who's like an explorer, you know, kind of a naturalist yeah. or whatever. And 
<laughs> he ends up killing a guy, and then he's on the run, and then there's a detective who's looking for him, and then he ends up threatening our hero, our heroine, with uh, you know blackmail. I'm gonna release the details of your past if you don't, you know, if you don't give me you know money and let me escape and all that sort of shit. And um, then there's kind of a, a battle of wills there, and then yeah. I mean, and then we end up with sort of like there's just kind of an interview where like the man this uh, preacher who's kind of running this school, um, Dr. Vivian, who, um, our lead, and I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to pull her name up here. Um, Sylvia, Sylvia, Evelyn Creer, who is great in this film. Um, and she would go on and she, unfortunately she died in 1932, uh, giving birth. Um, but, uh, she, she did quite a few more films after this. Um, and, uh, so maybe we'll try to throw some more, some, some more, um, you know, Oscar Milieu, uh, or Michaud, excuse me. And uh, maybe Evelyn Prier will we'll bring some more of them back. Sounds uh, good to me, man. And uh, certainly some Oscar Micheaux. I think I think that's going to be an essential uh, because he yeah. made films all the way into like the late forties. Was the last? Yeah, like, yeah. Forty eight was his last film. So we should definitely throw at least one, one or two more of those onto into our onto our list. But then we get the story of where we we learn this like secret history, right? And the secret history is sometime in the past, which is probably only a few years ago because Sylvia is, I mean, you know, you could say, Oh, she was a teenager and they just didn't like DH her with makeup or whatever, you know, it's yeah. a super low budget film. It's really not like clarified. Her parents had, <laughs> had uh, raised her from when she was a baby. They were, they, they, she wasn't really her, their child, but they raised her. And then at some point he, they, and she had her school paid for. So these her family were these like dirt poor black laborers, like completely illiterate, you know, probably former slaves or, you know, yeah. I mean, it's entirely possible. I mean, in 19, if you say that happened in say 1910, yeah. you know, we're only, you know, 45 years past the civil war. I mean, it's very possible that they were like child, you know, children, you know, who no, they no, were slaves as children. And then come on, you know, come on, Daniel slavery ended as soon as the civil war did. <laughs> right. Clearly, obviously. But then the, the so the story is that she that they <laughs> one day he's going off to pay this kind of rich industrialist banker like landowner guy mm-hmm. like some money he owes him and then the guy gets into an argument and tries to cheat him for out of his money and then this third guy who's like this southern sh- asshole shithead who <laughs> hates the industrialist or the landowner because he's also cheating all the white people around mm-hmm. kills the industrialist kills the landowner. And then the black man gets framed for it, and we even get to see this like little Rashomon sequence. Yeah. Where, like then they tell the fake story of how this guy actually yeah. like you know fired his gun multiple times and you know like beat the shit it's, out of this guy. It's, fuck, this it's fucking man, amazing you know? the stuff yeah. that he puts into this. Like, and this it's... is literally everything I just described to you begins at like an hour and five into this. Mm-hmm hour and 19 minute film you know like it it, it totally surprised all me of it. like I, there's so much in this goddamn movie like, i i was i was totally surprised like i did not expect to see this happen i was like what the fuck yeah 
But and you're you're totally right, Rashomon. Like it, it's it's fucking Rashomon at uh, point in this. Like yeah, it's playing yeah. it's playing that game. It's it's doing like faulty memory, and it's doing this. You know, the stories are told in order to make the the black men um, seem to be the a terror. You know, kind of kind of attacking white people, and this becomes like the justification for uh, the lynch mob and the yeah. scene, the lynching scene. Like Jesus Christ, I mean, this would have been. And again, to be clear. Black men were lynched, and you could buy postcards of it. Like this was, yeah. you know, we think of lynching as like the kind of the version that we see in kind of the fifties and sixties, where it was like the secret thing where they go off and they just kind of leave the body hanging there, and it's right. just a warning. Like this, the warning was, we're going to take you to the town square, or we're going to take you a few miles outside of town, and we're going to like hang you and then burn your body and maybe like cut pieces off of you and like I'll, I mean, and, sorry, I'm not trying to wallow in details here, but. It's really vile, disgusting. I mean, you know, like the most horrifying stories I've heard are some of these lynching stories. It's the parody host Negro character mm-hmm. who, who you know, he, he's standing around with a bunch of this mob of white people. It's like, well, I'm the one who clued you in that this white guy got killed by this other black guy. And they're like, well, he's not around. Why don't we just hang this Negro? And, and they do. And, and they do. They absolutely yeah. do. Yeah. It's like, fuck. I, I don't know if I should be excited by that or like really disgusted <laughs> by it because that character is disgusting. Like that's Samuel L. Jackson and Django Unchained. Like absolutely. He... Absolutely. Yeah. No, clearly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, getting, getting, meeting his end at the, at the hands of a lynch mob. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's a, <sighs> You know, not that's not for me to feel any particular way about, honestly. Yeah. Like that's just it's just not. That's just not my that's just not I don't know. I don't I don't get to have an opinion on that scene. Yeah. But yeah, and then it and then it ends with you find out that um Sylvia is the daughter of the brother of the guy who was the rich landowner. And yeah. like he is literally like approaching her and trying to rape her. And then yeah. like as he's like literally he's ripping her clothes off. And finds like a scar on her left breast. Uh, well, that, can't rape you now. Well, that scar, I recognize that scar. I have a daughter with that scar that I gave away to this old, this old uh, formerly slave family, and I paid for your education. <laughs> so everything's fine so long as I don't what do actually you know? rape you. You know, rape <laughs> like... forgiven, wackity schmackity do. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. Oh man. Yeah. So, no, this this is a fucking great film. I, I love yeah. this film. Um, it yeah, same here. Best on my best of the year. Yeah, it's 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 on the. I mean, you know, who knows who knows what else we're gonna who watch knows this what year. Else but... Be, but I mean, it's there. It, it, at the very least, it's gonna go on my fucking honorable mentions. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's it's the best film I've seen this year to date. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way for sure. Um, no questions asked. So, um, but yeah, no. Uh, this is one you should definitely see. Again, there is a version on Amazon Prime. It does have uh, what seemed to be a good score. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there are several versions on, on YouTube. I mean, you can kind of click around. But the, the, the clearest version I found was one um, that seemed to be like kind of a, a pristine, a, you know, kind of a cleaned up version with cleaned up title cards that, you know, a lot of the blur is gone. Um, and that was, uh, and that has like a Library of Congress title card before the beginning of the film. And that's right. the, and that's, that's certainly the one I watched. I would love to, I was tempted to just kind of play another version with audio 
in another window while watching the good version <laughs> just to uh just to get the experience but uh who knows um but, but yeah no um this is a masterpiece it's 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 phenomenal stuff uh you'll probably want to watch it at least twice uh there's a lot here mm-hmm. uh it's it's you know a little bit hard to follow yeah and also this film was shot one time like they they didn't do multiple takes of anything yeah from what i understand this was literally shot you know, what you see on film was <laughs> we got some stage actors to sit there in front of a camera and if something got fucked up, it stayed in the film because we don't have <laughs> any more time and we don't have any more money. So there there are there are some harsh cuts in this. Like okay. uh I, I, I saw a cut at one point where it's it's showing a room with furniture and then it does a harsh cut and the furniture is visibly moved. <laughs> just a little bit like a couple inches but it's moved yeah. and it's like okay yeah no they didn't have time to do you know they didn't have coverage shots or anything like yeah. that that didn't exist at this point so whatever but yeah no great stuff so what what are we doing next time we're doing the cabin of dr caligari and um um Hackson. all right yeah, yeah, we we decided we're going to we're going to pass over dr mabusa the gambler yep which is like four and a half hours. <laughs> We're trying not to do the super long ones. Another reason why Metropolis might um, wait another cycle or two. Um, but yeah, so I mean, we, we we've got uh, we got Cabinet of Doctor Kiligari. Uh, we get Haxon, uh, Doctor Mabusa Gambler. That's definitely going to be. Probably the next time around. Yeah, that that looks good. That looks good. Because we're we're good. We're definitely going to be doing a Doctor Mabusa film once we get to the thirties. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, it'll be fine. We're we're trying again. The list was not the canonical. We're going to do all these lists. The list was, mm-hmm. um, you know, these are these are list of possibles. Let us know what you want to hear, and we will decide not to do those explicitly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Fuck people you. really want us to do Doctor Mabusa the Gambler. Fuck that. <laughs> I don't think anyone said that. So yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> any of our like three <sighs> listeners, none of them no, said no, do no, that no, one. No. We got a whole bunch of YouTube comments. Got a whole bunch of YouTube comments that said, "Yeah, do Doctor Mabusa the Gambler," and we're like, "Fuck that!" No, YouTube. all the YouTube comments were like, "Where's Doctor Mabusa the Gambler? Where's the movie?" <laughs> and that one is actually out there. I'm sure. So whatever. <laughs> Uh, yeah so uh daniel where can people find you on your interwebs you can find me i'm on twitter at daniel lee harper that's probably the best way to find me i do another podcast about terrible nazis about nazis Mm -hmm. um it's cut on to speak german and i can't imagine you don't already know about it if you're listening to me here but if you don't and you want to know about uh, the nazis of the 21st century um go listen to it yeah and you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com, where you can find our Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Facebook links. Join the Facebook group. Best way to get in touch with us, find out what's coming up, uh, you know, make suggestions and stuff like that. Like, over the last couple of weeks, uh, people like Jeff Williams and David uh, Wilt or Wint or whatever his name is uh, made suggestions, and they're on the list now. They're on the list. They're on the fucking um, list. So, Not to say we're going to do them. But they're on the no, list. we're we're definitely not saying we're going to do them, but maybe the next time around we'll do them. We're going to make a list, and we're going to keep checking it, and then yeah. we're just going to do whatever the fuck we're going to do anyway. So. Maybe in 2022, 
<laughs> we'll finally do the film you suggested because we'll yeah. put it on the list and we'll, we'll get there to it. We'll, we'll, we'll get, get there eventually. Yeah. We'll get... yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> we might do Night of the Lepus in 2022. Like, or 2025 or 2035 yeah. or, you know, who knows? You Stick with us, guys, and, and you'll eventually get there. You know, <laughs> that that. There, there's no patron. Lee is very drunk right now. I'm just I am very drunk. Anyone who is not aware of this, <laughs> listening to this podcast, Lee literally about five minutes ago, Lee went from like, I am here with you, I am listening, I am responding, and then he just kind of like the lights went out just a little bit behind his eyes, and he was done. So, Wow. <laughs> like, like, listen, people. <laughs> just, just listen for a second. I'm we're we're with you guys. We're with you guys. Like 2025, we'll have your movies covered eventually. Like it's it's going to happen. It, we're not. We we don't give you instant satisfaction, instant gratification. We prolong the satisfaction. That's what we do in this podcast. Yes, we give you the tantric sex version of podcast greatness. Is what we do. We we are the sting of podcasting. Although <laughs> as I, opposed I, to all those other podcasts, which are the Phil Collins of podcasting. Although I'm pretty sure Sting's whole tantric sex thing is kind of bullshit. But well, yeah. I mean, let let's just go with fantasy. We're the sting of podcasting. We we give we give you the long sex. That's what yeah, we, do. We, we give you the long sex. And uh, we'll be back with more long sex next week. And uh, until then, thank you, Daniel. Thank you, people, for listening. And uh, just, you know, uh, keep your boners or your vaginal boners uh, ready because uh, we're coming back to strike them next week with more silent film.
You've been listening to They Must Be Destroyed On Sight. For other episodes, our links to Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and our Facebook group, as well as links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.